Well, it's great to be with you, and I just want to add my welcome if you're here as a guest. It's so good to have you in the room. We are the final week of a series that we've called Encounter, and that's really what we're talking about is that God wants us to experience him and to live our lives with him as an experienced reality. And I remember transitioning, a season in my life when God moved in my own heart from being someone far away and distant that I kind of believed in to a degree and to someone that I felt I knew. And I remember that transitioning happening in my life. And that happened when I was about 13, 14 years old. Uh, some of you will know I used to go to church. I, my parents used to take me to church. I'm now very grateful that they did at the time. <laughs> I'm not sure I always was so grateful. I'm not sure that was the, the, uh, the, the atmosphere or the attitude that I necessarily kind of portrayed. But looking back, I was, I'm grateful. But for me, as a young boy going to church, I believed in God to a degree, objectively, but he was far away and distant. A lot more conceptual to me. I kind of think God must be out there somewhere, but I didn't know him. And I had no sense of experiencing him. And when I was about 13, 14, this is a long story, so I can't really tell you the whole story, but I went to a youth group and that was, all I can say is amongst those young people, God hijacked some of those moments and, and kind of presenced himself in such a way that there was something undeniable happening in the room, which could only have been God. So we used to gather and pray together as young people, as teenagers, on Wednesday nights. No adults organized that. We organized that. And just over that season, we saw all sorts of amazing things happen, which, you know, I'm, I'm not, I would be more on the skeptic end, okay? I'm not like, I'm, I'm not, I believe everything the first time I hear it. And, but I saw some things which were remarkable. So people with heal, back issues being healed, people with broken toes, toes being instantly healed when prayed for, people praying for people with sprained ankles, ankles clicking back into place. You know, remarkable things. A lady I, who came to one of our prayer meetings who was blind, recovered partial sight in that meeting as we prayed with her. Just stuff you kind of go, there is nothing. This is the, God went from being out there somewhere to being, oh, he's here. And at times, therefore, that's like, oh, he's here, and I need to sort my life out because he knows me. And uh, so there were external, if you like, evidences of his presence and his power, but also at the same time a kind of inner work in my life where I started to be, believe that God knew me, God was interested in me, God had a purpose, wanted to do something in my life. And if you like, from that moment, I think I was a bit of a marked man. That's how it felt. And Psalm 34 is a great psalm where the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? What he's basically saying is, he, God wants you to experience him, not just know about him, but to know him. And if you know him, you'll discover he's good, rather than someone who's holding back good things from you. So I believe God wants us to experience him. And that's really what this whole series is about, about encounter. is about not living a Christian life as if God is far away, but living a Christian life in the day-by-day, experiencing on, drawing on, believing in the presence of God, actively working in our lives. And that he wants to walk this life with us. And this final message I want to talk about that part of enjoying his presence is that his presence is to be an empowering presence in the life. There is power that we are to draw. Now, I think we all need some power. All of us need some power. Uh, Years ago, we went on holiday as a family, 
And I've got two older brothers, and we went, and we had some other friends who came with us, and we went all the way to the Lake District. If you've never been there, it's full of mountains and hills, okay? And it was miles away from where we live, because we live in the south. And there were too many of us to go in one car. So my dad, had, we'd, we'd got a second car, a bit of an old banger. In fact, previously, we had a much better car, but my brother, Dave, drove that into a wall, and it didn't work so well after that, okay? So then he replaced it with an old Vauxhall Chevy. It looked just like this. Anybody else ever driven one of these? No, I'm the only one, you see, and that's why they don't sell them anymore because no one bought them, apart from our family, okay? So we had this thing. This, this had like, it felt like a 0.6 engine, okay? I don't know what this thing was. A car is a generous term for this vehicle, okay? It was slow. Going downhill, it was slow. So driving it 300 miles up to the Lake District and then up hills and mountains was not a great deal, but I got that deal. I had to drive it, okay? So every day we got to the Lake District eventually and we would drive up these hills and I would literally be praying, please don't let anybody else be on the roads. Please don't let anybody else... Because no one could overtake you because the roads were too narrow. So almost inevitably, after a few minutes, there would be queues and it would be like a traffic jam behind our old Vauxhall Chevy. It was so useless going up hills. It was awful. It was like embarrassing. I felt shamed driving this thing. Well, after the week we got at home, it took me three months to drive home from the Lake District and that. No, it's not true. Something, is he lying? No. We got at home eventually, and my dad rang Dominic, the mechanic. Now, Dominic, the mechanic, has a lot to answer for, because he flogged us that car in the first place. And we got Dominic, the mechanic, and I said, Dominic, can you lift the bonnet and find out what is the matter with this engine? Why is it just, like, where's the power? And he, had, he did his thing, and he found out, he came back and go. The engine is not drawing on all the power that's available. It's not firing on all the cylinders. That's the issue with the car. It's not firing. Now, if you read the Bible, it appears to be saying, you just read through, there appears to be power available to the Christian. There appears to be power there. You read it through, you'll find the mark of a Christian in the New Testament is you receive the Spirit, and part of receiving the Spirit is a mark of power for the Christian's life. Jesus says, Acts chapter 1, stay in Jerusalem, When the Holy Spirit comes, he says, you're going to receive power. That's the word he uses. All sorts of words, I guess, he could have used. But he says, one of the marks, he says, power. And then you read the rest of the story of Acts, which is basically the story of of the birth of the church. They are marked with power. There's healings. There's there's prophetic words. God is guiding people. There's signs and wonders. There's boldness where... They'd been, they'd been timid, but now there's boldness to be open about their faith. And it all comes from power that the Spirit is bringing into their life. So there's this external demonstration of power because the Spirit comes. But also, at the same time you read the rest of the New Testament, you'll find that the Holy Spirit is also responsible to give power to you internally. Okay, Often we, there's a phrase used about the Spirit, it's the comforter. Well, that word actually means fortifier, strengthener. Okay, so Ephesians 3 is quite a well-known passage which talks about power coming to the believer for inner change and strengthening. Paul says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church 
in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So just briefly, even in that passage, Paul is saying, I'm praying that you're going to have the Holy Spirit to give you strength, power to give you strength. And then he says, I'm praying that you're going to receive power so you can grasp, understand how much God loves you, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is God's love for you. In other words, if you get that, it's going to change your life. And you need power in even to understand what, how much God loves you. Romans 15, one other passage. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you read the Bible. It appears to me it is you know, absolutely clear there is power available for the Christian both in terms of external evidences of God's manifest supernatural power but also inner workings in our hearts. There's power. Here's the thing. It would seem to me, and maybe this is just me, but I suspect this is true of others as well. There's power available, but sometimes we don't fire on all cylinders. We don't always draw, if you like, for whatever reason, on all the power that the Bible appears to say is actually available to us. We struggle sometimes with things where maybe there's power available to help us get through this. Now, for the theologians in the room, for those of you interested, I believe, I believe in the teaching when it comes to the New Testament that we live in the now but the not yet of the kingdom. In other words, the Holy Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost. That's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And we are experiencing something of God's power now and his presence now. But one day we'll feel it and experience it fully. There'll be a day when Jesus returns when you're in his presence fully and there'll be no more sickness, no more suffering and we will experience his presence and therefore the power of his work in our lives completely fully. That day is coming. We live in a day when we are experiencing something of that day now. Something of that age has broken in now. So we're living in the now but the not yet, in other words. So we live in this tension of where there's sickness and suffering. We're not kind of living in kind of cloud cuckoo land. That's all around us and in our own lives. And yet at the same time, there's power available for us in the midst of difficulty, which is why Paul often writes in the New Testament, he goes, you know, there's weakness and suffering and yet there's power. He talks about power in the midst of weakness and suffering. That's our tension. So that's what I believe is how to read the Bible and view it that way. That all said... Although one day we will experience his presence fully, it seems to me there is often more power available to us than maybe we draw on. If we were to go and get Dominic the mechanic, I don't know if Dominic the mechanic is still in business. He shouldn't be after he flogged us that Chevy, but let's say he is. And we brought Dominic back around here and I said, Dominic, I want you to lift the lid and the bonnet on all our lives and I want you to have a look at why... We're not necessarily firing on all the cylinders that we could be firing on as Christians. Okay? This is what I reckon he'd do. First of all, he'd lift the lid and go, ooh, it's a bit of a problem, mate. You know, he'd kind of stroke his chin and he'd probably then say he wants to plug me into a diagnostic machine and that's going to cost me a few hundred pounds just to plug me into a machine. Okay? But he'd plug me in and then he'd find out, I think, two main issues in our, my life and possibly in your life as to maybe why... I don't fire on all the cylinders that are available to me. First of all, I think he'd say this. I think this, that I consistently overestimate what I can do and how I can be a solution to my own issues. And I consistently underestimate what God can do 
And crucially, what he wants to do in and through my life. In other words, that I overestimate, if you like, my own power to solve my issues. And I underestimate how powerful he is and how keen God is to do something in me and through me. I think that's one of the issues for us. Let's deal with the first one. When it comes to how we relate to God and how we live according to him, I think right at the heart of so many of our issues is basically the belief that we are better, more in control, more able to deal with the challenges of our life than we actually really are. Fundamentally, often, although we would never say this if we're Christians, we would believe somewhere inside us is a sense we think, actually, I can kind of live my life independent on him. And that's why many of us do, week by week. We don't necessarily walk before him. I don't need him. Basically, it's called pride. And pride leads us into what the Bible calls sin all the time. In other words, it's us saying to God, do you know what? I'm not going to live your way. In fact, pride and sin leads us even further. It leads us to saying to God, do you know, uh, actually, not only am I not going to live according to your way, actually, I'm going to decide for myself what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. In fact, I'm going to be God rather than you. And we take his place. That's what pride leads us to. It happens right at the start of the human story. Genesis 3 is the story of Adam and Eve sinning and falling and all that happens after that moment. And basically right at the heart of that is God says to them, you know, you can eat of anything in the garden. All of this is good, all of it. But just don't touch that one. That fruit there is not for you. That's off limits. Those boundaries, don't cross that boundary. And obviously what happens is in the end they go, Do you know what, we are going to have that. And they take it. Now, what are they saying? What they're saying to God is, you know, I'm not sure I trust your boundaries. I'm not, I'm not sure the boundaries you're giving us. Are the, I, mean, I think maybe you're keeping some good stuff from us. I'm not sure I trust your boundaries. So actually, we're going to take it. In fact, not only are we going to take it, we're going to decide for ourselves now, rather than you telling us what the boundaries are, we're going to take your plate. We'll decide what the boundaries are how to appropriately live my life, what's good for me, what's not good for me, we will decide. And effectively, we take God's place. And the human race have been doing this ever since. This is what we do. We say to God, you know, I'll decide what I'll do with my body, what I'll do with my sexuality, with my finances, with my words, with my relationships. I don't trust your boundaries, God. I'm going to make my own. And that kind of living, it seems to me, leads us into all sorts of destructive and addictive and damaging behaviors. And that is why when you come back to God, coming back to him is partly admitting to him that the way I've lived my life simply doesn't work. You know, you get baptized when you say in the pool, you say, Jesus is Lord. At the same time, you should be saying, and I'm not. (laughs) Because up until now, I've been living like I am. I've I've, I've taken your place. But I'm going, you you drive. I'll I'll be the passenger. I'm going to, because I try. I am not God, and I believe you are, and I trust your ways. We're also saying to God when you become a Christian, you're also going, you know, even if I had wanted to follow your ways, even if that was true, what I've discovered is I don't even have the power to live right on my own. I can't even, I can't even somehow create a life which is righteous in any way. I just don't, I just don't have the power innately in, my, in myself to do it. One of the best stories I know, which kind of like, sort of paraphrases a little bit, or just this story is a story of frog and toad. I don't know if you've ever read any of the frog and toad stories. But there's one particular story where they, 
where they um, go off and make cookies. This is not a true story, by the way, of frogs and toads creating baking cookies. But there's a story of them, and it kind of, I'm going to read it to you, it kind of just illustrates a little bit how unable we are to fix our own lives. This is how it goes. Toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell very good, said Toad, and he ate one. And they taste even better, he said. Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I've ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, Frog said with his mouth half full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let us eat one very last cookie. Then we will stop. Frog and Toad Toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for the cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Willpower is trying very hard not to do something you really want to do. What, you mean like trying hard not to eat these cookies? Asked Toad. Right, said Frog. So Frog put the cookies in a box. There, he said. Now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. So Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. Ah, you are right, said Frog. So Frog got a ladder. He put the ladder up on a high shelf. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder. We can take the box down from the shelf, cut the string and open the box, said Toad. Ah, that's true, said Frog. Frog climbed the ladder, took the box down, cut the string, opened the box. He took the box outside, and then he shouted, Birds, birds, here are some cookies. And birds came from all around. They picked up the cookies in their beaks, and they flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog. But we have lots of willpower. (laughs) You can keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. (laughs) And I think that's illustrative of our issue is that we want to do the right thing sometimes, but we find we're completely unable to stop eating the cookies. We just don't have enough power innately in ourselves to solve our own issues. And part of being a Christian is acknowledging it. I can't fix my own issues. But I believe you can, and I believe you're good, and I think you want to rescue me, and I surrender. And that's part of how you start. That's how you enter a relationship with God. But not just how you enter. That is how you need to go on with that kind of posture and that kind of heart. And I believe that one of the ways that we would experience, if you like, more power, that we would fire on more cylinders, is it's just if every day we just said to God, I need you. I, I just know that I don't have the resources for this day on my own. But I believe you do. And I need you. I want you to help me, guide me, strengthen me, help me. Simply accepting and believing that I am someone who needs help means I think we would, ex- we would experience more power. Now, just as an expression of that, obviously part of that is coming to God and asking for help, literally saying, God, help me. But part of it also is, in the midst of a community, I would want to say this, is sometimes it's saying to other people, I need help. So I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and what I've noticed is everybody has issues, everybody has areas that they struggle And a whole load of us wait a long time before we ever tell anybody. And that lag between that issue, whatever it is in our marriage or our parenting, whatever that issue is, that lag of time, how long you leave that has a massive impact on whether you ever solve that issue properly. And I wonder 
if we got into a community group, got to know people, we would find if we were open with others quicker, appropriately, finding the right people, we might experience more of God's power at work in our lives much quicker and avoid a whole load of destructive stuff in our relationships and our marriages and all sorts of other places. So sometimes we think of power as being like the fuzzy moment. (gasps) But sometimes it is simply the ordinary moment where you risk and you tell someone, this is what's going on at home. This is who I really am. I don't have to pretend anymore. And you might experience a lot more power because you're just a lot more open. So part of it is admitting I need help. Here's the second part. I believe not only do we consistently overestimate what we can do, but we consistently underestimate what God can do and wants to do in our lives. Seems to me the consistent message of the Bible is that God loves us. Ephesians 3, that passage we just read, is all about receiving his spirit and the power of the spirit so we might grasp just how much he cares for us, how fond he is, how much he wants to do us good. Dallas Willard, who was an American theologian, sadly died a couple of years ago, uh, writes some amazing books. And one of his books, he talks about what he calls the Emmanuel Principle. In other words, one of the big themes of the Bible is that God really, really wants to be with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to stop with him. And Jesus seems to me lives it out. He models it. He demonstrates what this looks like. He sees people. He stops with people. He touches people. He talks with people that no one else sees or stops for or touches or talks to. He's living out this principle. And in John 16, Jesus says, it's better that I go, which is an amazing statement, so that then I can send you another who's going to guide you into truth, my spirit. So I believe God absolutely loves us, and I believe God absolutely wants us to experience him day by day by day. Now, if you get a heart that grasps both those realities, in other words, I need him, and I don't have the power to fix my own issues, but I believe he loves me, and he does have the power, and he wants to do me good. If you put those two things together, do you know what I think you get? I think you get someone who asks a lot for God to help them. You put those two realities together. Simply, what does it produce? It produces someone who says, God, I'm going to come again and again and again to ask you. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I want to suggest to you that maybe the reason we don't fire on the cylinders that we could fire on is simply that we don't ask enough. Now, you might think that's a bit simplistic, and maybe it is. Maybe there are other reasons. But it would seem to me that asking, the more I ask, the more I seem to receive. The more I stop and wait and ask for God to guide me, the more I seem to experience of him. Jesus says, doesn't he, if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to become like a child. There's something childlike that you need to, you know, you need to embody and embrace again. Now, if you have any experience with children at all, okay, they do not have a problem with asking. Have you noticed that? (laughs) I've never, none of my kids, I've had to say, you need to ask for more things. I've never had that issue with them. The problem is stopping them from asking. It's like, enough! Can I have, can we do, can we go, can I watch, can we play? It's like like incessant asking. 
I wonder whether we need a little bit, bit more ask. In James chapter 4, it says, some of you don't have because you simply don't ask. All I know is the more I have been open to God and the more I've asked him, the more I seem to have experienced of him. Now, there might be other reasons, but I, I think there's some truth in that. Now, let me give you some examples from my own life of moments, if you like, where I've experienced God's presence in kind of moments of power or moments that have just unlocked situations simply because we have asked. And this might hopefully encourage you. Some of these are a bit more dramatic. Some of them are just very normal. Last summer, we went as a family, we went to, into Europe and we went cycling in Germany. And we were cycling through. It's a bit mad. We were cycling and camping and all that kind of stuff. And on the final, penultimate day, we got somewhere and it was starting to rain really heavily. And we had a puncture. So we're there trying to fix this bike and we're kind of working out, we can't really camp tonight because it's so wet. So we're trying to find places, we're ringing places, we're searching for places, trying to find somewhere else, say a hostel or somewhere, can't find anywhere. So we're like, this is going to be a totally grim 24 hours camping in the rain in three little tents. So anyway, we kind of divide, in our, Sarah goes off with the kids and goes to the supermarket. I stay back with one of our kids trying to fix this stupid puncher. And as she's off at the supermarket, she's in the supermarket and she's like, God, we need to stay somewhere. You then must, God, can you please give us somewhere to stay? So she prays. I should have been praying, God, help me fix this stupid puncher, but I didn't do that one. But she's praying, and as she's praying, she sees a couple in the supermarket, and she thinks, I need to go and ask them, go and talk to them. That's what she feels God prompts her to do. So they, they go out to the supermarket, so she follows them with her kids and goes up to them, because she's got some front, my wife, and goes, do you know anywhere in the town? Do you speak English? They're like, one of them's South African, one's Zimbabwean. All good. Speak English. Okay. Do you know anywhere in this town we can say, any hostels, anywhere? And they're like, no, we don't know anywhere. And then this couple look at each other and they say, um, you can come and stay at ours if you want. So this mad couple in southern Germany invite six people. They did, I don't know if they didn't realise there were more of us. Possibly they just didn't know. Oh, I didn't realise there were more of you. But I get a phone call from Sarah saying, oh, we've got two options. We can camp or we can stay with this couple I met in the supermarket. And I'm like... Who are this couple? I don't know. They just said yes to us. We can stay in their basement. It's like, uh, the kids are like, is it a basement like a cellar? It's going to be horrible. We don't want to stay in the basement. I'm like, I don't think it's that kind of basement. But anyway, anyway, we eventually turn up at this house and we walk in and they were amazing. First book I see on the side on the desk is a book called The, the Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And I'm like, something is up. God is doing something. And we stayed with this couple that night and in the morning and had a dinner with them. And they were amazing. And they were going to, they'd been out of church and that hadn't gone quite right and all sorts of stuff. And it was like, we would, we, we, if it was with me, we'd have been staying in some horrible little tent in the rain over here. But because, we, because Sarah asked, we get to experience something remarkable. Simply because we asked and because listened and then went, okay, let's give it a go. That's all it was. If, and you think, oh, it sounds really dramatic. It's not dramatic at all. It's simply very normal. A few years ago, we moved house. A friend of ours moved to Bahrain, and they said, would you like to live in our house? And we said, well, that'd be great. We have to rent our house out. So a bit of a faff doing all that stuff. And I was a bit like, oh, I was a bit in turmoil about whether I really want to do this, or I really want to be a landlord and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't really know. I thought, this is a good idea, but um, I didn't feel, I felt... I felt concerned. I felt there was a bit of a risk and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that Christmas, before we move, I get a Christmas card through the post from a friend of ours, Tim. Tim had done a year team with us, done one year with us, gone off. 
And he wrote me this Christmas, or me and Sarah, this Christmas card. It's just a very normal Christmas card. And in that Christmas card, he said, as I'm writing this card, I felt God wanted to speak to you. He said, I don't know what this means, but I felt God say to you, the house is perfect, just jump. Now, I don't get many Christmas cards like that. But you need to know, it was such an encouragement. I felt strengthened. Because someone over here writing a Christmas card had asked God. He had no, I rang him up, I'm like, Tim, do you know anything about what's happening? I don't know anything about it. He didn't know anything. It was just remarkably encouraging. Simply asking, being obedient, bringing it. We had tea once with Steve and Cindy Nicholson. Steve is a friend of ours from the States, has helped Steve and my, myself and others for years about how to lead a bigger church. And he came for tea at our house a few years ago, and one of my kids said to him, if you have a prophetic word for someone, how do you know it's God? And he said, you just have to bring it. And they're like, that's an annoying answer. How do you know? And he's like, you have to bring it. And he's like, how do you know? Because my kid's just as stubborn as he is. How do you know? And he's like, you just have to bring it. And then he said these words, which I don't know if anybody else took any notice of, but it really resonated with me. He said, but I bet you anything, God is speaking to you far more than you realize. And I'm like, write it down. (laughs) Write that down. It's so wise. I think it's true. And sometimes it's just, all it is is asking, listening, and then doing something. Not waiting for the cloud of the presence to fill the room. Not waiting for the big fuzzy feeling, although those are all good moments. I love that. But just in the ordinariness of the moment. So last weekend, we're with dinner. I prayed for two people this week, by the way, to be healed, and neither of them being healed. So sometimes you're doing stuff and you think, I'm just being obedient. But I was having dinner with some friends of ours last weekend, and one of them has been through a really rough time, really hard. And I was just talking to him about, like, retreats and kind of reflections and having kind of time we've got meditative times and going somewhere and doing that and I was as I'm laying the table I'm reminded of there's a famous pilgrimage in northern Spain called the Camino de Santiago and it's quite an old famous thing and I felt like God drop it into my head that I needed to say it to him so I said Phil have you ever have you ever thought about going have you heard of that have you thought about doing that walk and just having some time out and he said that's crazy I'm I've just been given that book and I'm reading that book right now about that pilgrimage. Now, it's just a tiny thing. But you kind of think, maybe that is a little encouragement just in the normal, everyday moments. The offer to pray for someone, the offer to give someone some money, the offer to, to phone someone up and go, I just want to encourage you, to write them a card. Whatever it is, there's certain ways that God might speak to you or do things in your life and through you. But just to wait and ask and say, God, I believe, I believe you want to do stuff in me and through me, and I'm going to ask. You know, it seems to me in the Bible, our job is to pray for people. It's God's job to heal them. So sometimes it's simply that. I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray, I'm going to see, what well, God, what you do. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis that I find very provocative, and uh, he says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. What if there's more of God for us to experience? What if there's more cylinders to fire on? I really want to encourage you this week. If you know Jesus, 
I want to encourage you to take moments and times just to ask him. Say, God, I'm available to you. Use me today. I want to hear you to wait. And in those moments when you feel God just whisper something to you to act and do something. And let's see what God can do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's start going.